Good morning, everyone. I'm Eric Percher. Welcome to the Nephron Research Pharma Pricing and Benefit Management Symposium. And good news, if you're here this morning, that means you are not scheduled to testify at the House Oversight Committee today. So it's already a good day, and the content hasn't even begun. But what a conversation we are set up for today. I think after five years of discussing all of the problems of gross to net, we're now at a point where there are, there's universal focus on potential solutions. So I think this will be a great time for us to bring together voices and opinions on which solutions are best positioned, which, posi which solutions may have unintended consequences, and which solutions can actually be put into place in a reasonable time frame, and maybe even which solutions can be put into place if the time frame isn't reasonable. Those are all questions we're asking today. So we've got a great set of panelists to help us do that, and I'm going to try to spend a little bit of time providing a setup for the day and raising some of the questions that I think we should be asking as we walk through the panels today. So to begin with, let's make sure we're moving along. All right, so let's talk a little bit about where we stand. It's been 11 months since the blueprint was released. It feels like dog years. These have been a long 11 months. And when you look at what was first proposed in the blueprint from the administration, there were 31 potential action items that we zeroed in on. And as we sit today, there are 17 where we have seen some type of proposal. And we maybe shouldn't use the word action. These aren't 17 actions, but they're at least activity. We see a lot of activity, and we'll try to determine what the ultimate actions may be. Now, there are two that I want to focus in on, and to provide us a little bit of controversy or to give us a little base for our discussion today, let's go ahead and talk about well, we're a little, here we go. Let's set this up with two theses that we've been thinking a lot about at Nephron Research. So two proposals that we're going to drill into, one of which will be the international pricing model, reference pricing, something that we really thought we would, uh, we were unlikely to see from any Republican administration. In October, we saw the proposal or a notice of proposed rulemaking. And the question has been, will we actually see a final proposal? So a thesis that I'll put forth here that we can test today is we believe we actually will see a formal proposal, but we think that that proposal will see quite a bit of pushback and will put Republicans in a very difficult place. And so we question whether we will actually see a final rule on reference-based pricing. And that's one element I want to test during the day. The second is the fraud and abuse uh, OIG proposal on removal of safe harbor protection. I have a feeling that's going to be a lot of our discussion today. And here, we at Nephron do expect that HHS will, that first of all, OIG will, and HHS will finalize, and there will be an effort to put this into place for 1-1-2020. When I speak to reasonable versus unreasonable timeframes, this is a lot of what we're going to uh, focus on today. And then the third element we want to consider is that there is a call for action on both the Republican and Democrat side in Congress. 
And it's easy to say, well, why would the Democrats give a win in front of 2020? Can these two get along? But I do think that we're seeing a period where there are quite strange bedfellows in DC, and we should not count this out. And what I want to raise with our participants today is their view of congressional action. So with that as background, let's talk a little bit about what it will take to operationalize discounts. I want to make sure everyone in the room is caught up with the activities of the last several weeks because we've been getting new information uh, at a very rapid pace. On March 21st, we held a public forum in DC with drug channels. And we had John O'Brien speak. And there were a couple elements I want to make sure everyone in the room was aware of. One of those was it was quite clear that he views rebates as a kickback. That was clear to anyone in the room and that they want to see action and they want to see action soon. And that they do believe that if we see a move to discounts, there will be offsets in the way that formulary is designed and competition without a rebate wall and prices will be lower. We have him almost saying, don't believe the economic analysis or let's choose from economic analyses. There will be a downward impact on price, which is a question today. Uh, it was also very clear that PBM's role does not go away. The PBM is still managing formulary, negotiating discounts, managing pharmacy networks, but it could change significantly, and HHS is open to the prospect of others playing a role. And we'll speak a little bit to that. And then finally, it was quite clear that HHS and the administration is looking for this to uh, bleed into the commercial market. They expect to see contagion to the commercial marketplace. Today we'll talk about what the time frame for that may be and what the mechanisms may be. I think it's probably harder than what they may have proposed. We do it and 30 states adopt and it's going to happen. Uh, but there are mechanisms and avenues of contagion. So let's talk through a couple of aspects here that are important. Number one is timing. We would typically see three to four years for a major regulatory change to be implemented. That's what we've seen in the past. So why are we talking about 1-1-2020? And I think it is a political calculus. What you see here is that we're talking about premiums increasing and then the patient receiving a benefit at the point of dispense. And so those premiums increase, or we can begin to see them when we're, they're publicly released in late July. And of course, you, will, you or your parents will go on the plan finder in October and say, my premiums have increased. So there's a period of negative optics that uh, is coming. And if it occurs for 1-1-20, the negative optics occur in this year, 2019. 1-1-20, we begin to see patients and tell stories of the patient who has now seen their cost at the pharmacy counter decline. And when we get to the election, we can roll out the individual who is taking treatment, four treatments for diabetes and was spending $900 and is now spending 100 So there's a story to be told there. The concern is that if we wait until 1-1-21, the negative optics occur July to October, and the election occurs in November, and we're, we, we will have yet to see the benefits. So I think this is driving a lot of the conversation today, and it is a political imperative, but not the way we've typically done business. Let's talk a little bit about viability. The focus of our event on the 21st in DC was, 
are there other options out there? We've heard from the PBMs and certainly in PCMA's comments that they believe if we're going to do this 1120, the PBM is the only game in town. And we really wanted to test the idea of how else might we look at this. And we, I think that over any normal implementation cycle or any over, if we, if we do see a transition period, there were several solutions put forth some utilizing the pharmacy switch, the distributor chargeback system, a third-party administrator, the pharmacy itself creating a relationship with the manufacturer. There were many options that we would typically be discussing, but there is no doubt that if we're talking about 1120, it favors the PBM. And so here I think there's a real question of, well, we may begin in 1120 with the PBM. Is there any element of transition and how will distributors and pharmacies look to make sure that they do have an offering and engage manufacturers in that conversation. The other element of viability is relative to the payer. And payers, PCMA, AHIP, have all discussed the dislocation that this could cause to the marketplace and the impact on the consumer. And it was surprising, I think, to everyone in the room that last Friday we saw guidance from CMS, remember that the proposal around the rebate safe harbor is an OIG proposal. We're waiting to see what else may need to be proposed, what Medicare rulemaking we may see. Well, CMS spoke up and said that there is an option here, an option that would revolve around a demo. So we think you've got to submit that plan bid June 3rd. At that point, the rule may not be lost. So you're not going to submit based on a on a movement to discounts, you're going to be submitting based on what's already law. Well, a demo could be a mechanism for bids to be adjusted. And one would expect that if there's no other option, well, every plan out there would have to move toward that demo. What the demo also did was gave CMS an opportunity to address the risk that plans face and to try to reduce that uh, dissonance in the marketplace. And they did that by raising the guardrails, raising the risk corridors to 95%, saying to the plans, if you have losses, we will backstop you. You will not uh, face more than a 5% negative movement. And that should, in theory, also help as the plans look to uh, write, as they look to write their bids and consider what premiums might look like next year. This was one way for CMS to try to get in front of the discussion and say, you know, write your bids with an expectation that there will be some backstop provided by the government. Now, the last element I want to bring up here, let's uh, move these along, is that this past Monday, we saw comments. We saw over 20,000 comments. And, We'll say that 10 or 15,000 of those may be form letters, but even if we subtract that, the level of comments here are going to be 3, 4, 5x what we saw on uh, the IPI, which seemed to be a record setter, or the blueprint itself. So there is a lot of, there are a lot of speakers in the debate. Uh, we're going to save you today some reading because I think we've got about 250 pages worth of comments up here on the stage, and there's probably another 100 or 200 in the audience. So we will get to, we'll flush out some of what is important to the players in this debate. But as I look through the comments, I've really tried to create several seven benchmarks via which we are uh, 
examining what the various players have stated. And so these are the seven debates that we have honed in on. And you'll see as we start to publish on the comments that these are the metrics by which we'll measure and try to figure out where everyone stands. With respect to patient impact, this is fairly simple. We're talking about that relationship between out-of-pocket cost for a patient and premium for the entire population. On implementation, I spoke to some of the questions around who could actually put this into place for 1120. Timing, should it be 1120? If it is 1120, is there a two-year demo and then there are other options on the table, or is 1120 it? With respect to price, I know we're going to have an interesting conversation today around what the ultimate impact is to net prices. This is one where we've even internally kind of gone back and forth on where we think the ultimate impact to net price will fall out. There are a lot of, a lot of opinions on this. And price, of course, is related to budget impact, which will impact the ability to implement this as well. And then finally, important to anyone in the room who's looking at the public payers or managed care companies is this idea of contagion and what it might mean to see contagion from government markets to the commercial marketplace. And then last, an important element of what we will speak to during our lunch keynote from UPMC is what does this do to value-based contracting? If we think value-based contracting is the future of the pharma and the future of uh, getting to a sustainable system, then what do we do with a proposal that doesn't have room or doesn't create a safe harbor for value-based contracting? So we'll bring that up throughout the day, and I think you'll find that it'll foot very well with the presentations that we've uh, constructed. And I just want to give a little bit of insight as you look through the agenda, because you don't necessarily get a lot out of a, uh, a title. I think that Michael from IQV, uh, Michael Kleinrock's presentation, will really help to set the stage. And I've asked him to go a little bit beyond just gross to net and talk toward these larger questions that, uh, that we're all debating today. With PHRMA, bio, and AHIP, I expect that we'll really be able to raise the debates and hear directly from them where they stand and what their concerns are. As we get into the panel uh, on transparency, We've got Peter Bach, who I expect will be able to provide us a perspective on the economic theory behind what may or may not occur to net prices. And then what we've asked Tiffany and Josh to do is really come in and help us understand what is the debate today at, in the marketplace? How, is the, how are proposals being implemented for point-of-sale discounts and rebates already? And what is the position of the largest employers in the country? And then after that, we will get a direct perspective from several pharma manufacturers. And that, I hope that we'll talk about brand and generic, but also the role of biosimilars and how we incentivize biosimilar competition. So I think that will be a central part of the panel with manufacturers. We then move into value-based reimbursement. And finally, we look at some innovation occurring in the commercial market with the NDPC. This is a new plan design with Express Scripts. And we'll be able to address directly how are PBMs trying to innovate or create options for a world without rebates in the commercial marketplace.